This is Women in STEM Career and Confidence, the podcast for scientific and professional women who want to restore confidence, make meaningful impact, and balance the things and people that mean most to them. I'm Dr. Hannah Roberts, and I'll be sharing with you insights and inspiration into the mindset and skill set to help you navigate your career and lead powerfully. It's recorded live and outdoors. So anything could happen. Hello everybody, welcome to the live for day two, actually on day three, because I could not cope last night with a live. <laughs> Long story. <laughs> so probably some of myself at work. So yes, I'm live in the right room, right group. And what I'm going to do today is go through the questions from day two, which was all about our um, profiles, see what questions you've got there. And then if I've got time, I'll move on to the questions for today, or I might leave them and answer them tomorrow. We'll see how we get on with these ones. So welcome. And if you're joining live, do come along and say hello in the chat box. Let me know that you're here. And of course, if you have questions or comments as we go along, um, just hit reply and type them in the chat box. If you're watching on replay, use the hashtag replay so that we know that you've been here. So welcome. And I'm looking at myself going, ooh, your lipstick's very dark. <laughs> so that's quite nice. Um, okay, let me get started. So Sam, do you have any tips on how to avoid overcompensating for unhelpful primary traits? The perfectionist in me wants to be perfectly balanced. Of course, your perfectionist wants you to be perfectly balanced. I better save that as well. I've just come off another group coaching call for our time and energy secrets and it's just downloaded so we can watch on replay. So let me put that in there. Recordings, go. Ta-da! Okay, <laughs> just ignore me. So yes, of course, your perfectionist wants you to be perfectly balanced, Sam. In fact, it probably wants you to be perfect, of course. So when it comes to our primary selves, um, they all have positives, of course. So say you have a primary self, which is a really strong pusher. Without your pusher, quite frankly, you're going to be like a couch potato, just lying on the sofa, kicking back, eating some crisps, drinking some Coke, having some ice cream, watching a movie, just kind of lying about all day. So of course, there is definitely a positive to having a pusher there, a strong primary pusher. A bit like if you've got a strong, if you've got a pleaser, without a pleaser, quite frankly, we wouldn't have any friends because people just go around saying whatever, whatever on earth comes in their mind with no filter. Or we just wouldn't think about any friends. We'd just be doing what we want and not concerned with anybody else. So each of the primaries have something positive to bring to us. But like you've said there, Sam, we actually want it to be balanced because if you've noticed your scores are quite high, you might also get unhelpful traits that come with it. So for example, with the pusher, an unhelpful trait might be that you're always on the go, that your performance is driven unmercifully, that you can't stop. And even if you stop, you feel like you have to stand up again and do something. And you might have that pushing through, working late, working evenings, go, 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 all the time kind of mode. And that can take its toll on relationships, health, career, 
all aspects of our life. It's the same way here as Sam's talking about the perfectionist. So in a balanced expression of perfectionism, we can have some standards. First of all, we have standards for ourselves. We can live up to some kind of standard, but it's not to the point where um, it's unhelpful, where we spend too long on something or procrastinate and not start something for fear that it's not going to be good enough or it's going to get some negative feedback or it's not going to be perfect in some way. That's when it's slipping into that unhealthy thing. Like, I've got to clean the whole house all of the house, I couldn't leave a room, whatever it is for you. I don't have a particularly strong perfectionist, as you may have noticed, so it's probably not about cleaning for me. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> should also breathe. So what we want to start to do is actually build awareness and separation, slight separation from these primary selves, give ourselves some space, first of all. So if you want to start to give yourself some space, first of all, think of them like lenses of glasses. So if I'm in my perfectionist and everything looks, I don't know, <coughs> purple. So let's say you've got purple glasses on. So wherever I look, everything doesn't look finished. It doesn't look um, detailed enough, doesn't look good enough, isn't to the required standard. Everywhere I look, everything looks like that. So what we need to remember is it's the lens of a glass, just as easily as I can put those glasses on, I can also take those glasses off. And all the other cells are just different colored lenses. When I'm in that mode, that's all I can see. All I can see is everything substandard. That's all I see. So we want to not just be run by one of these cells. We want to be able to say, oh, oh my goodness. Hello, perfectionist. I'm in perfectionist right now. Um, why have you showed up? and allow a conversation with that perfectionist. Um, I've showed up because you've got a big report to give in for your boss. It was, it's due in at five o'clock. It's definitely going to get the red pen treatment. It's not finished. It's not to the required standard. You don't have all the, you know, it will just go on and on. And then you say, thank you for sharing. Thank you so much. And reassure that part that you have heard it. Thank you so much. And I'm going to do something about that. Then you want to come back to awareness. So you said, okay, that's you over there. That's your opinion. Then you might find that you have multiple opinions coming at you. So your pusher might have something to say about that. Your perfectionist, your pleaser, your inner critic might have, might have a field day about all of this. So just listen to it all, say thank you, reassure it. Come back to the central place and then be like CEO of your own boardroom. This is me sat in the CEO seat. Those are all my trusted advisors. Some of them are crazy, <laughs> but they're all at my seat. They all have a seat at the table. They all get their opinion listened to. Then I can come back to a position of choice. Now I've heard all of that. What do I choose to do? Now I might choose to go with the perfectionist. I might choose to actually, yeah, I do need to run the perfectionist standard over this to get it in. I might choose to come from pusher and just go, oh, I'm just going to get it done. Doesn't matter how it turns out. I'm just going to get it done and move on. Um, I might choose to come from a different place. I've got a choice. I might say, okay, I'm going to go till three o'clock and then I'm going to hand in whatever it is. You have a whole heap of choice. The difference is you have a choice. When you're being run with a primary self, you don't have a choice. You can only do its bidding. I can only push or I can only perfect. That's all I can do. Whereas if I've got awareness of it, I can come back and I can choose my response. I can choose my approach. As CEO of your own boardroom, 
I really like that idea. It's a bit like um, at the moment you might have, might be playing chopsticks like on a piano. I've got two, two fingers, two notes, and I'm going however it goes. Crazy. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't play the piano. Um, so it's a bit like chopsticks. Whereas what we want is to have like 20 keys on the piano. We're gonna access all of these different parts of us, all of these selves, all of these opinions, and then still have a choice. And then we can make beautiful Mozart and Beethoven and beautiful music. I hope that's helpful, Sam. Let me know. Okay, I'm going to move on to Rachel. Rachel, how to stop rewriting the story and catastrophizing? I think this is a part of the planet in me that wants to have a plan. A plan A, B, C, all the way to Z. But I do think this is holding me back from leaving now. You can't plan effectively for the unknown. No, you can't plan effectively for the unknown, but there is a great planning technique that actually orig originated in Shell, um, randomly, the energy company. And they used to do this, um, not catastrophe planning, but mitigation strategies. So they would have a plan A and they would say, this is what we're going to do. This is what the outcome is. This is what's going to happen. But if this particular thing should, be, should happen, that's going to trigger me into plan B. And then if that particular thing happens, plan C. So for example, um, I'm working in my business, it's plan A, all going really well. If Mark was to be made redundant or something was to happen like that, that might be a trigger, might be a trigger for plan B. Because then we don't have this, um, <laughs> because in business you don't always get paid monthly, um, you, we might need to have something like that. Or it might just be that he gets another job immediately and I get to stay in plan A. But you can see how it might be a trigger point for moving into a different plan. So you can do things like that. I know you, that you would be very good at that, Rachel, but not all the way down to Z, just plan A, B, C, not Z, not all the way through the alphabet. The thing that's really interesting though, and the thing that you probably need more than the plans is the rewrite the story and the catastrophizing. So there's a beautiful model for the way that this works in our brain. And the fact that there's a model means that you're not alone. Nearly everybody does this. In fact, I haven't met a person yet that doesn't do this. And it is the way that our brain iteratively goes through cycles. And I... Um, this is a tool that I use with my clients called um, Cycle of Creation, how your thoughts actually shape the reality that you see in front of you. <coughs> Sorry, I'm going to take some water for a moment. My um, husband has a cold and I, I sort of think, oh no, I'm on the edge of one. But I, think I'm, I think I might be avoiding it. All good. Okay, so... We've got this cycle of creation, how our thoughts shape our actual reality that we see in front of us. Now, when we go around this cycle, if you've ever preempted a situation, so you've worried in advance, you've anticipated what's going to happen, and you've thought through it and you've gone, oh, this is what's going to happen, oh, you know. If you've worried during a situation, you're in a meeting, but actually your head's going, what if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer and we're going round our head like this and we're not in full presence, we're in our heads. Or 
ruminating upon something afterwards. So an event's happened and now I'm going over and over it in my head, unpicking it all. And each time I go around that cycle, the thoughts get particularly more catastrophizing and worse until it's the end of the world. <laughs> so that's what happens in our brain. So what is this cycle? Now I'll give you the basic parts of the cycle. Not going to go on about inputs to the cycle, we'll just get the basics on for now. So you'll have a trigger or a moment or something will happen. So let's give the example of Rachel is, I don't know, at work and gets an email from her boss and it says come and see me now. That will trigger a meaning that we will create, a story, a narrative around that. So if I get an email that says come and see me now, I might go, oh my goodness, what did I do wrong? Um, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm probably actually even going to get fired. <laughs> they're good, they've actually found me out. They've actually found out that I don't know what I'm doing and now they're going to fire me. You get, you get where we're going with this. Then we attach an emotion to those thoughts. So I might start to feel quite anxious and I'm on the fear end of the spectrum. I might even start to panic about it. Then we take an action based on how we think and feel about ourselves. So if that was me, I probably wouldn't go to see them straight away. I probably would go through the email trail and wonder where it all went so very wrong and come up with some kind of argument in my head about how um, it, it's okay because of X, Y, Z, <laughs> like some kind of mitigation argument. And then we're in the cycle again. And as I said, if then the events happened and we're ruminating upon it, it's just multiple iterations of that cycle. So what we want to start to do is to slow that cycle down and see all of the constituent parts. There are three, well, yeah, at least three inputs as to why we create the meaning that we do. Some based on um, the beliefs we hold about ourselves, our values, um, our body, our hormones, and a whole heap of other stuff inputs the meaning that we create. But for now, we just say, okay, that's the meaning, that's the story that I'm creating. And what's the truth in all of that? So the truth is, I got an email from my boss. Everything else is a story that I've attached to that one truth. Now, um, how do we start to stop it? First of all, awareness of when you're triggered and mapping out all of those different parts, separating out that truth from the story. Then when you get to that point, it's about looking at the inputs and what's feeding the story in the first place, feeding why we make that meaning in the first place. That's really what I do in the realm of coaching with my clients. We're looking at the beliefs, the thoughts that drive it in the first place. So that's the first starting point there, Rachel. I hope that's helpful. You may have heard some of that in our coaching session, our group coaching earlier. Okay, so Alice, um, Hi Hannah, thanks again for the nice video. I have a question about imposter syndrome. How can we see our life or life situations in a more objective or rational way? And could we live without these different selves? If not, how can we find balance? Could the balance of these selves be different according to different situations and stages of life? How can I understand if the desire of changing career is driven by one of the selves rather than a real need? Ooh, super, super good question. So let me start to um, 
like kind of address each bit in turn. What are you saying, Rachel? I can see that you've commented, but I can't see it yet on my screen. So I'm sure it will come to me in a moment. Um, okay, so first of all, imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome is a collection of these limiting beliefs and emotions that come as a result of the thoughts that we're having in our head. Now, so the, the each different selves, each of the different primary selves has um, has formed because when you first become a baby, you're very vulnerable when you come in the world. Without your mum and dad or whoever's looking after you, you're not going to survive unless you make them happy in some way. So if we don't coo and goo and be cute as babies, quite frankly, we're not going to get fed and we're going to get chucked out and left on the street. Just to catastrophize it a little bit. But you can see why when we're babies, we form, we naturally form strong pleasers. That's one of the first things to form. We're going to smile. We're going to um, interact with another human being. We're going to make them love us and like us so that we survive. Now, for some people, they will continue to develop a really strong pleaser for a number of different reasons. For others, they start to develop other selves. And yes, they're all on a timeline. So over time, things can change. Like I didn't used to have so much of a really strong, responsible self until I had children. Then suddenly I'm responsible for other people's lives, for getting them places and doing things and very responsible. So events, situations can trigger new selves to start to come to the forefront. And of course, as we're working on ourselves and our own personal development and growth, that's going to change the makeup of these selves as well. We're all going to, we all have access to all of the selves and there's loads of them, not just these six, there's like tons of these selves. And as we were saying before, think of them like keys on a piano. If we are always run by pusher or always run by the perfectionist or a stress team of the perfectionist, the pusher and the pleaser with some inner critic on the side to keep you in check. It's like I've just got these. I can play with one hand I can play the piano with one hand and I can only play these set of keys. But then what we're looking for is I'm going to access everything that's possible to me in my brain and have the way in which we do that is to get some separation from those primaries so that we've got something else. So what's in the space? If I'm not a pleaser, what's on? What's in the space there? There's the what about me? There's the creative self. There's the magical child. There's so many other things that are available to me if I'm not pleasing all of the time. So that's the first thing. Um... Can we live without these different selves? We do. So if we've got strong primaries, we are disowning parts of us. So if I've got a really strong pleaser, I'm dis disowning the what about me? That one's not getting so much of a look in. It might every so often, but it's not on a daily basis. If I've got a really strong pusher, I'm disowning my couch potato. <laughs> if I've got a really strong perfectionist, I'm disowning my, um, like my, on the other side of the perfectionist I forget now like inner um like meh don't care like don't care part um th so there's always like an equal opposite if I am responsible on the other side is a rebel this these kind of things so and that they've all got as we said attributes and they've all got downside and it's about having access to balanced expression of all of these things so that we can 
really playful out, live a whole life without the negative impacts of them. So could the balance of these cells be different according to different situations and stages of life? As we said, yes, they all have a timeline. Things can change as situations change in our lives. Um, and how can I understand if the desire of changing career is driven by one of these cells rather than a real need? Yeah, I mean, the pusher in particular is definitely has a desire to um, excel, succeed, be the best, move forward, climb the ladder, climb the hierarchy. It's going to have a narrative around that. So the key here is to recognize that if you have a strong set of selves, they will be driving you. They, they are the ones at the forefront driving those decisions. Until you get some separation from them, we're not making a choice from an awareness position. We're just making a choice from ourselves. So yeah, definitely something to be aware of and definitely will impact changing careers. I'm noticing that people are responding to me, but I can't see it in my messages. So let me take a moment to come to my live and maybe see what you're saying and then I'll move on to the next question. So let me find myself, which is really odd when you find yourself live in your live. <laughs> but don't start talking, no. And can I see the comments? Rachel's got a fax um, icon and Alice is saying thank you. Oh good, so it's all making sense. Right, now I just need to go back to the questions. <laughs> Always good. Okay. So somewhere in there, I've got some more questions. Oh, I can see it now. I just couldn't see the sticker. Okay. Let's go for it. Question number four. Anita. And Erica saying, oh, Kira's saying I second that question. Okay, Anita, how do you balance the expectations at work that encourage unhelpful parts of yourselves? In my experience with academia, for example, there is a pusher mentality. Yes, it's the culture. <laughs> Competition breeds excellent pushers, first-class pushers. The expectation that you are working 70 hours a week, always on call, produce, produce, produce results. If are not if you are naturally a pusher and struggle to manage it, how do you manage it in this environment without it depleting the rest of your life? When you start to create boundaries or step back and tend to your needs, it's almost frowned upon. Yes, of course it's frowned upon because if you think about it, everyone else in academia, if they are working a 70 hour week, are also in their pushers. So the pushers are gonna judge each other's pushers to see which pusher is the best pusher. <laughs> which one is, um, so it's like comparisonitis and of course the inner critic steps in to compare you with other people's pushes and say well that one over there worked all weekend and you didn't go in you had a weekend off so you're doing a bad job which means that you now have to stay all Christmas and work all the way through so that you're better than that pusher over there. Unfortunately competitive environments breed pushers big time. Pushers, perfectionists, sometimes pleasers as well, um, responsible selves. We all kind of, um, it's to do with that competitive nature and the environment. However, you have a choice. 
You have a choice whether or not you want to work a 70 hour, 90 hour week. You have a choice, but you don't have a choice when the pusher is in charge and making all of the decisions. So again, in order to create boundaries, first of all, you need separation and space from that pusher. As we said before, lenses of the glasses, hello pusher conversation, listening back to CEO and awareness. Now, when I work with my clients, we do do a process called voice dialogue where I speak directly to these parts, help you understand what it's, um, why it showed up, what the vulnerability is underneath it, what its concerns are, and help you get separation and help you get access to what's on the other side of that thing. So you get a more rounded, balanced view. We sort of balance you out. Um, but in if you're not doing that, just having an awareness and the lenses and the conversation is a great place to start with it. The other thing is we don't all have to do it that way in order to succeed. There's this myth, isn't there, that you work harder, do more, you're going to produce more. But who here knows that that's not true? Who here actually knows that the hard, longer I work, the more hours that I spend, the more evenings I do, the more weekends I do, the more deplete I feel, the less efficient I am with the time during the day and the more likely I am to have to work in the evenings to catch up for the fact that I'm not productive during the day because I've worked too late in the evening. It's like a paradox, <laughs> a lovely paradox. Whereas if I said to you, you only have between nine and four o'clock or nine and five o'clock and you are not allowed to work um, beyond those times, actually, think about how much more focused and productive you would be with the time you have available. So I think about this in my business. I'm seeing, I'm training two days a week. I'm coaching two days a week. I have one day a week to prepare for all of those things. Sometimes I only have three to four hours on that one day a week to move my business forward in some way. Only two, like sometimes one hour, between one to four hours a week to go forwards. Otherwise, it's just maintaining what I've got already. So if I know what I'm going to do in that particular hour that's going to move me forwards, I can still feel like I'm making progress and I'm so much more efficient. I would say that I could do in four hours what I used to do in about two weeks because I know what it is that I want, what it is that I'm doing and why it is that I'm showing up. But when we're coming from a position of, oh, well, there's always more time because I can always put in the hours. I can always push through. I can work late. I can work the weekends. I can catch it back. All we do is deplete ourselves further. We lose motivation or we just feel really bad about ourselves because we let our health go. We let people down in our relationships and we don't find that balance that we're looking for in multiple different areas of our life. So it's important that if you feel like that, then it doesn't have to be that way and it doesn't have to be that way in a competitive environment. You can do things differently. I want you to think not just about the role models that you, you look towards, but the fact that other people coming into academia, they're looking at you. They're looking at you, they're emulating what you do. And if you don't want that for the next generations to come, for your sons, for your daughters, if they were to go into academia, don't let other people see you operating that way. Be the change that you want to see in academia. And I believe that it can be done in a different way, that it can be done in a nine to five environment if we just allow ourselves to try. But many of us won't for fear of what might happen if we do. 
Um, Kira's seconding that. Erica says, good question. I second this too. Push is my highest self-trait amongst others. And this is the reason I ended up leaving academia after 11 post-docking. I think that's 11 years of post-docking as I was exhausted and couldn't continue working so many hours. Having a perfectionist so high certainly didn't help either during this time. Obviously, my inner critic also high had a field day telling me I was a failure. Of course it does because the inner critic steps in when you break a rule of a particular self. So if I break the rule of the pusher and I have left academia and I feel like a failure, I've broken the biggest rule of the pusher of all. I've failed. I've not, I've not made it to being a professor. So your inner critic at that moment in time is going to ramp up big time and kick you and beat you with a stick to make you perfect so that it never ever has to happen again. Think of the inner critic a bit like help helpful parents <laughs> you know they want the best for us they try they they you know sometimes they nag us sometimes they hold silent expectations but they're doing it from a place of we want the best for you that's the same with this inner critic it really wants the best for you it just goes about things in rather a self-destructive way using phrases thoughts things from colleagues parents bosses you name it in order to make you feel really bad and judged and compared. So we need to go on a comparisonitis, comparisonitis diet. And, um, and that inner critic naturally reduces when we get separation from those primary selves because if you're not so strongly identified with the pusher, the inner critic doesn't have so much work to do. So by default, that one starts to come down and we have this balancing effect. So like, um like a seesaw if up here these are your primaries down here at my elbow these are your disowned parts or the parts that don't get a look in when we start to get separation from your primaries we get this balancing effect by default these come down and these on the other side come up so you might experience things like bouts of couch potato bouts of not following the rules bouts of <laughs> doing things differently getting a different result not in a negative way, in a different way, and experience much more joy and roundedness in our lives. So those are the questions from day two. Um, let me have a look and see if we've got some questions from today that I can get to. So here are my questions for today. We have two already. Excellent. So I'll answer these two, but if people have more questions on day three, then you can keep adding them to the thread and I will answer them tomorrow. So, Sharon, how do you get out of the capability trap? Oh yes, I actually had to do that. When you've demonstrated you can do something, it's easy to get stuck, especially when nobody wants to do those tasks. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, Sharon, I talked about being in the capability trap myself, that I was doing scientific project management because I got pregnant my PI thought, oh, I need a project manager on this grant. I know someone who can work part-time and, and do that. Hey, Hannah, do you want to do this? And it was a great opportunity for me. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no really idea what it involved. And I could do it because all of you who are here today are very highly intelligent, capable people. So whatever is given to you, you're going to find a way to be able to do it. And I could do it. I could be a scientific project manager. However, it wasn't fulfilling. 
It wasn't enjoyable for me. It felt like hard work. And there were other people around me, another three scientific project managers, that were actually naturally talented for it. And they were drinking tea and cups of coffee and smiling and happy and able to get things done without it being very serious and regimented and rigid and fast because obviously I had a strong pusher back then. So <laughs> once you find that you're in the capability trap, okay, 80% of the time, probably 95% of the time, if I'm being honest, I was out of flow. So that gives me a really clear indication I'm, I'm not in flow. I'm in the capability trap. So that's the first place to look. Am I in it? First of all, if you've identified yes, then the onus is, is on you. So if I'm in the capability trap, I want to make sure that everything that I do is um, the next step that I take is more in line with my natural talents and capabilities. Because when I can align to those, I'm going to spend more time in flow. So one of the tools that I use with my clients is called the Talent Dynamics Profiling Tool. There are loads of these personality profile tools out there. I've tried lots of them and I find that this one is the one that people get the most. And the, I mean, we can all do them online and you can do the Myers-Briggs and it will tell you your X amount, extrovert, X amount, introvert. But what are you going to do with that piece of information? This is why the key to it all is the debrief and the richness of the information that you pull from it. So once I've got a talent dynamics profile of a person, I can look at um, what sort of criteria are they going to be um, naturally talented for, what they're good for. Does that match with their natural talents that they can describe for themselves? <laughs> Usually, yes. And then we want to start to develop a career pathway or a leadership pathway that is utilizing their natural talents and capabilities, that particular profile. And what you can start to do is, Usually the profiles have a series of job roles or focuses that would be really great for that particular um, profile. I can then start to develop um, professional and personal development based on my profile because we want to get even better at the thing that we're naturally talented for. So if I um, say, for example, I'm a so supporter profile, I come out, I'm the most extroverted of all the profiles, I'm a supporter that's not, this is not me, that's just an example, then one of the things I can do to be even more brilliant at being a supporter profile would be to take up, um, to do a coaching qualification, to learn how to do something like a profiling tool, to, um, to go on some kind of managerial or leadership training. That would enhance my natural talents if I was a supporter profile. And then you can also think, I need to think about context. So I want to become a master of these natural talents and I might need to work on my blind spots as well. Or I might need to work on something in the context of the place where I work. So if the project managers at work use a tool called Agile Project Management, then I don't need, as a supporter profile, I don't need to go and take the Agile Project Manager training. I just need to get competency level at the language and the things that they use in order to feedback information to them. And this is where I think we really fall into a trap because often we're told, okay, we need to work on the things we're not so good at in order to be better. But actually, there's someone who's already talented to do that thing and we should let them take that forward and shine. We should work on our natural talents and get mitigation strategies. Competency level at our blind spots but move forward and shine in the area that we're supposed to. 
it's a bit like me in business now saying, oh, let me take um, uh, an accountancy exam in tax efficiency so that I can do my books in my business. Well, no, quite frankly, I'm just going to outsource that to someone who I hope absolutely loves it and breathes it day in, day out. Does this make sense, everybody? Let me know in the comments below. So to get out of the capability trap, we want to identify our natural talents and capabilities, create a leadership pathway from it. And you can even, I mean, this is the cool part, you can even start to look at job specifications and roles based on these natural talents. You can almost pick out the sentences that relate to you and check that it's in line for you. So there's some super cool stuff that you can do around this. Um, I hope that helps, Sharon. Okay, to Cedar. I have difficulty to find my natural talents and hardly inflow, maybe because of the inner critic. Are there any tools or suggestions to observe myself to find the natural talents? Hmm. Cedar, I'm querying this because you have already done your talent dynamics profile and you already have quite a good awareness of um, that profile and the fact that you felt that it really matched you as an individual. So I have a feeling you already know what some of these natural talents are. You can always come back to me later and let me know if this is true for you or not. So I kind of think that this question isn't about the natural talents, but more, as you said, I think I saw your inner critic was at 100%. So it doesn't matter what information we present from that, um, that profiling tool. I could present to you and tell you that you are excellent at... Um, finding everything that could possibly go wrong with a project and really highlighting the, the risk and the mitigation strategies. I can tell you that you're naturally talented for finding um, the problem in everything and that is where you're adding the most value. But if your inner critic goes, <gasps> how, how on earth um, is that a help? You're just seen as the person who is negative about everything, that's not a natural talent. Um, you cannot possibly ever say that that is a talent. <laughs> if we've got that voice in our head that's berating us, we're not going to be able to fully own those natural talents. And again, we don't necessarily have to work with the inner critic in the same way as we work with those primary selves. The trick is actually when we work with those other primary selves, like the pusher, the perfectionist, the pleaser, those ones, when they start to come down, the inner critic naturally reduces too. Because... The inner critic stepping in because you've broken a rule of one of the other primary selves and it's berating you for that. But when you're less identified with those primary selves, it's got less ammunition. So the place for you to look at the other primary selves, which ones are really running you on a day to day basis and what do they have to say? Because that voice in your head is a mixture of those primary selves and the inner critic all tangled up. So start to get some separation from that. And then you'll be able to see and feel and own those natural talents. And Helen is saying, what a revelation, work on what you're good at to start with. Yeah, I know, we're just not taught this stuff at school, are we? Everyone's always telling us, work on what we're bad at, get better at the stuff that you're not so good at. But actually, work on what you're good at, be brilliant, excel, shine, and get competency in things that you need to. I think that's a good place to leave it for today as well. So that was all the questions from today. If you do have more questions um, for today's content, because I know not everyone's done it yet, so there might be more, 
just add them to the thread. I'll come back to them tomorrow along with any questions for the day four. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what you think of the day four task tomorrow. I'm going to spend some time in the group now going through all of your responses, but I hope you're enjoying the challenge and that it's all starting to make sense for you. And I will see you all very soon. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to Women in STEM Career and Confidence. To get further support in your journey, join me in Breakthrough Unleashed on Facebook.